I was raised in a home that did not know Christ, but my parents raised me with very traditional Chinese values. Obey your parents, do well in school, and of course, practice piano. You see, I had a secret though that I kept hidden through high school, college, and even the Marine Corps reserves. But when I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and I started dental school, I no longer kept it a secret, and I lived openly as a homosexual in the gay community. It was at that point that I decided to go home to Chicago and break the news to my parents, and I told them I am gay. This devastated my mother, who was not yet a Christian, and she actually had resolved to end her life. But praise God. God saved her through the word of a little pamphlet that shared with her that all of us are sinners, and yet in spite of our sin, the God of the universe still loves us. And God opened up the eyes of her heart to see that just as God can love her, she could love me in spite of the fact that I was living as a gay man. So my mother surrendered her life to Christ, and within a few months, my father did as well. Spending most of my free time in the gay clubs, I, went, I, I began experimenting with drugs. And this whole time I tried to live this double life, I also began selling drugs. And I tried to live this double life of being a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But four months before I was to receive my doctorate, the administration expelled me. So I moved to the bright lights of big city of Atlanta, Georgia. And there I quickly took over the drug scene in the gay community. And I became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day. My parents had no idea that I was doing drugs or even selling drugs, but they knew my biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And my mother would try to reach out to me with the love of Christ, send me Christian cards every other day, fill them with paragraphs of scripture, and sign the bottom of it, love you forever, mom. And I never read those cards and simply toss them to the trash. My parents one time flew to Atlanta to visit me, and after the second day, I kicked them out. My dad, though, before he left, wanted to give me something, and it was his very first Bible. He left it on my kitchen counter, and as soon as they left, I took his Bible, and I threw it in the trash can. I wanted nothing to do with God, and certainly nothing to do with the Bible. And after that visit, it was more than obvious to my parents that I was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. But my parents committed not to focus upon the hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And along with over a hundred prayer warriors, they began to cry out to God for me. My mother began to pray a very bold prayer, which was, God, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. Whatever it takes. She fasted every Monday for seven years and once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She would literally spend hours every morning in her prayer closet on her knees interceding on my behalf. She knew that it would take nothing short of a miracle to bring this prodigal son to the Father. And a miracle is exactly what God did. This miracle came one day with a bang on my door. I opened up my door and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. 
I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated all my money and my drugs, and I was charged with the street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. And so I tried calling home, and I dreaded making that phone call. But my mother's first words were, Are you okay? No condemnation, just words of unconditional love and grace. Romans 2.4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And even on that miserable day, God was pouring out his grace and drawing me to himself through the words of my mother. Actually, my mom was excited to get that phone call, if you can believe it or not. Because I hadn't called home in years. And she knew without a doubt that this was God's answer to her prayers. As she hung up that phone, she knew she had to do just as that good old hymn says. Count your blessings. Name them. One by one. She ripped off a little piece of adding machine tape and wrote down these first blessings. Christopher is in a safe place compared to before. And he called home for the very first time. As my years in prison passed, she kept adding to this list of blessings. And today, this list of blessings is longer and taller than she is. Three days later, as I was walking around the cell block, I passed by a garbage can. And as I look at this garbage can, I realized that my life was so much like this garbage. I was now surrounded by common criminals, trash. And with my head down, I was about to pass by this garbage can, but something on top of that trash caught my eye. I bent over, I picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. I took that New Testament back to my cell. I opened up that good book and read through the entire Gospel of Mark that night. But let me be honest with you, I did not think that this was the answer to all my problems. I thought I've got an enormous amount of time on my hands and I better pass it somehow. But as many of you know, what we have here in this book is not just ink on paper. What we have here is the very breath of God. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin and my rebellion, and it wasn't a pretty sight, and I thought things could not get any worse. I was wrong. A couple weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office. I knew something wasn't right. She sat me down, uncomfortably struggling with the words. So she wrote something on a piece of paper, and she slowly slid it across the desk to me. I looked down at this piece of paper, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. The days after were dark and lonely. I was sentenced to six years, much better than 10 years to life. But news of my HIV status was like a death sentence. As I lay in my bunk one night, I looked up at the metal bed above me and I saw something scribbled. And it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord.
plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. At the most hopeless point in my life, God used the words penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation to tell me that regardless of who I was and what I had done in the past, he still had a plan for me. I had no idea where this plan was going to take me, but he gave me enough faith, enough strength to get through that one day and the next. My transformation was gradual, and God was convicting me of my dependencies. The most obvious was drugs, but he completely delivered me from that with a few months. But the last thing that I was holding on to was my sexuality. As I continued to read the scriptures, I realized that my, that my identity should not be defined by my feelings or my sexuality. My identity is not gay or homosexual or even heterosexual for that matter. But my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. You see, God says, be holy, for I am holy. I had always thought that the opposite of homosexuality was heterosexuality. But I realized that the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. And God was telling me, don't focus upon your sexuality or your feelings, but focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity. As I began living this life of obedience, God revealed his plan for my life, and he called me to full-time ministry while I was in prison. And so I called home collect to my parents and I told them of my interest to go to Bible college and asked them to mail me an application to the only Bible college I had ever heard of in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute. But there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. <laughs> they mailed me the application. I quickly filled it out till I got to the bottom where they asked me for references from people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. The only people I could find was a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my references to Moody Bible Institute. So the greatest miracle is that Moody actually accepted me. <laughs> I was released from prison in July of 2001, started the very next month, graduated from Moody in 2005, went on to get my Master of Arts in Biblical Exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School. I'm working on my doctorate from Bethel Seminary, and I just published a book with my mother called Out of a Far Country, and God has such a sense of humor now I'm back at Moody teaching in the Bible department. I went from prisoner to professor. The Word of God changes lives. Millions upon millions of, of testaments and scriptures have been distributed by people like you, Gideons and Auxiliaries. And I wonder and I'm sure some of you may wonder, where do these end up? Some of you may have even experienced testaments and Bibles being discarded and thrown into the trash right before your eyes. But I'm here to tell you that the grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our God standeth forever. I want to encourage you, Gideons and Auxiliaries, and challenge you. Do not ever tire in the distribution of the living word of our God. Because it has, it is, and continues to change lives of millions like me. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you.